how good is it to see so many children and so many parents uh, together dedicated onto the Lord. I just think it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And they all did so well. And the mummies and daddies were amazing. You did. You held it together very well. It was lovely. So um, I know we have lots of visitors with us this morning. And, and just for sake of recap, so that you know what we're talking about, um, we have been working through a series called Cultivate, and we have been unpacking the parable of the sewer. And we have established that Jesus is the sower of the seed and that the seed that he sows is good because it's his word. And he sows it indiscriminately. He sows it in, on every type of ground, okay? And, uh, and we know that the seed contains all of the plans and all of the purposes and all of the promises that he's spoken over humanity from the beginning of time. And we know from the parable that there are four different types of soil. There's the path or the road, as it's sometimes referred to. There's the, the rocky soil, there's the thorny soil, and there's the good soil. And the seed, when it's sown on the first type of soil, that's on the path. Jesus describes how the birds of the air, they swoop in and they get the seed because it sits on the surface of the soil. It wasn't able to penetrate and take root. The soil had been packed down so hardened um, over so many years that, uh, that the seed just sat on the surface. And what we learned from that particular soil type was how important it was that we keep our hearts soft, that no matter what stage we're on in our journey with Jesus, that we remain teachable so that the seed can get into us and, uh, and, and change us. And then we looked at the second type of soil, which was the rocky soil. And, uh, and we learned how initially the seed is able to take root. It's able to get into the soil, but it's not able to grow very well because there are rocks that are in the way. They prevent the roots from going down deep. And then, unfortunately, when the heat gets turned up, um, the poor little seedling is frazzled with the heat um, because its roots couldn't find nourishment. And we realized again how important it is to remove those rocks out of our hearts, those things that prevent a depth of soil being there. Um, and so it could be things like prejudices that we have within us, grudges that we hold against other people, uh, areas of pain that have been in our lives for a long time, those rocks that keep coming to the surface. We need to give Jesus and the Holy Spirit permission to root those out. And so the third type of soil is what I want to look at this morning. It's the thorny soil. We're not going to go through the whole parable. I'm just going to look at Jesus's explanation when he's describing to the disciples what he was talking about when he's referring to the thorny soil. So he says this. He said, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, so they hear it, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. So Jesus takes some time with his disciples and he explains what it means. And he's saying right, they've heard the words, the seed has been able to go in. But he says that the seed of his word and the seed of the thorns actually sit together in the same soil. And when the conditions are just right, they both begin to grow. But the thorns are in competition with the seed of God's word that gives us life. And unfortunately, um, we, all, we all, like myself included in this, we all have a natural dispensation towards sin in our hearts because of the fall. And the thorns can, gr can grow within every single one of us if we aren't really careful. And that's why it's really important that we 
manage the soil that's in our hearts. And the first part of the thorny soil that Jesus explains is the worries or the cares of the world. And, uh, and it's this Greek word, it's, it's marimna, apparently Google told me that. I'm not a Greek expert. But it means, get ready, it means cares. <laughs> it means worries or it means anxieties, okay? These are the everyday stresses of life, like bills, like relationships, like things that we have going on with our children, like work, all of the busyness that can creep in, that's normal. That's just an everyday part of every single one of us go, what we have going on in our lives, okay? But it's um, very easily those things can distract our focus and take our attention away from God. And they can come on really, really slowly. At first, they can look like they're good things, um, but they're really very subtle. And as I was thinking about our, this message this week, I could just think of at the bottom of our garden, we have some trees. And uh, a few years ago, I took in and whipped all the ivy right off it. But slowly, the ivy is growing up again. And you wouldn't even notice it until a year later, and you begin to see that it's happening. And that's what the cares of the world are like. They can eventually overwhelm and choke the life out of us if they aren't completely removed at the root. So that's what I need to do. It's just when we get so distracted by thinking about the here and now and surviving from day to day um, that we become oblivious to the bigger picture of what God is at. And sometimes the things that actually can bring us comfort can actually turn into becoming, uh, in the long run, they can become the cares of the world. Like you can get a bit of comfort in financial security. You can get a bit of comfort in having your house just nice. You can get a bit of comfort in these things that seem lovely. But over time, if we're not careful and we don't guard ourselves against those things, they can creep in and they can choke us. And Jesus is saying that the thorns are this picture of the ordinary things that worry us, all the things that we have to do. And we can very quickly, well, I, I can tell you that I can, I can become overwhelmed with everything that I have to run the kids to. Anybody else like this? This is maybe just a mummy one. But making sure that we have all of, like, this is like my life, okay? All of the boxes being ticked to bring this person that way, and I have to make sure I've got that done for work, and I have to make sure that I've got this meal cooked. And all of a sudden, these things can just... Uh, become a priority in my life instead of worshiping Jesus. And I can find myself so pulled into this crazy lifestyle. And I thought I'd learned from COVID. Anybody else feel like that? You thought I am never going back to the hecticness of my life. And yet here we are going at a million miles an hour now. And I think it's really important to clarify, like, it's nothing wrong with these things, okay? But it's important that if, if we don't identify them and, uh, and, and, and if we avoid paying attention to our own hearts, then we can over time, just eventually end up like way off track. And then we just one day wake it up and go like, how did I actually get here? What actually happened? How have I arrived in this place? And it's because we've become distracted and stopped paying attention to what's going on with inside us. And of course, these responsibilities are important, okay? It's important that we look after our family. It's important that we pay our bills. It's important that we maintain relationships. Those things are all important. But when they overwhelm us and they cause us to shift our gears, that's when it becomes an issue. It's when we become so preoccupied or so anxious, so concerned about what other people think, that we can sometimes then end up coming to a spiritual standstill in life. When life is so all-consuming that we don't have the time to let the message of God's seed take root in our hearts. And that's what I think Jesus is trying to get at here. So how do we deal with it? Okay, well, I think Jesus says it beautifully in Matthew 6, in verses 25 through to 34. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. 
what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And then in verse 33, he says this, but seek first, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You see, when we cultivate thought processes around the cares of the world through the lens of God's kingdom, first and foremost in our lives, then we can rip the thorns out. Then we can dig them right out at the root. When, and I'm talking to myself here, okay, but when I seek the kingdom of God first, when I prioritize the pursuit of Jesus's heart, when I protect the soil in my own heart against the cares of the world, that's when in my life I find that I receive the joy that satisfies that innermost being within me. And it's this joy that puts the cares of the world to rest. And it sounds really simple, but it's a discipline um, that we all in this, in this church need to continue to grow in together as one body. We can all be deceived. Every single one of us can. But when we are transformed, like Romans 12 tells us, when we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, and when we dig these thorns out of our hearts and give room for God's seed to flourish, because we know that his will and his purposes are perfect and pleasing. When we cast all our cares on him, the Bible tells us we receive his peace. And so together as a body, we, we worked hard at that. We have um, different environments in place, like life groups, and we have environments for the kids where we, we work really hard at that together. We have to orientate ourselves around his word. We have to remain accountable to one another. And that's how we bring balance, I think, to the cares of the world. I should say, if you're someone who um, is suffering with um, medical anxiety or medical depression, anything like that, I think it's important that you also get professional help on that. Um, but these are also principles that you can apply to that too. Now, the second thing that Jesus talks about um, as being a thorn, so he talks about the cares of the world, but the second thing that he talks about is the deceitfulness of wealth. And I feel that it's really, really important that everybody hears this part before I say anything else. Um, Jesus has not said that there's anything wrong with money, with having money or being wealthy. What Jesus is saying, that it is the deceitfulness that attaches itself to wealth or like rides on the back of wealth that is the problem, okay? And um, when we look at this word deceitful in the dictionary, it means to lie or to mislead or to otherwise hide or distort the truth. And I believe that the distortion of riches or the way that wealth can mislead us is that over time, we begin to associate inner joy and satisfaction with the stuff that we have, with the false sense of freedom that money gives us, we mislead ourselves into buying into the lie that, you know, when I can just get that room decorated in the house because, you know, I just need a new bathroom, then I'll be happy. Or when I can get on that holiday or when I can update that car or when I can get the new phone that I'm due in the contract. And when we can get, 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 then we feel in, in a disillusioned kind of way, actually, over time that, that we'll be complete but the issue that I have with this, and to be honest, I've watched this actually lived out quite closely around me, is that we're just putting plasters over our pain. 
it speaks of a deeper need within our heart if we're always looking to stuff to give us satisfaction. And there's usually something much deeper going on in there. Stuff is never going to be able to meet the deep needs of your heart. Because what you have has very little to do with who you are. The deceitfulness of wealth is that like 100% of the time, it promises you more than it's actually ever going to deliver. The deceitfulness of wealth creates dependence on money for our security rather than dependence on God. We forget that he is the source of our identity. And we can see this played out in the life of Judas. He was like so close to Jesus. Like he, he, he did ministry with him. He, he was his friend. He saw miracle after miracle. He had access to everything that he taught. And yet he was tripped up by the deceitfulness of wealth. He helped himself to money from Jesus's ministry funds. Like what? What was he thinking? He complained when Mary wasted, in his mind, um, a year's worth of wages of perfume, if I've explained that right, just go with me. Uh, when he anointed, or when she anointed Jesus' feet, he complained about that. And, uh, and we know that he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. Judas was deceived into equating people and kingdom principles against a monetary value instead of equating them against a kingdom value. Poor Judas, I kind of feel sorry for him because I think his intentions were kind of right at the start. I imagine he loved Jesus. But over time, he was misled into believing that what he could get was of more value than who he could worship. And instead of being dependent and finding his worth in Jesus, Judas found his worth in money. And from this dysfunctional place of dependency, a desire was stirred up within Judas for more of the hollow power that money could offer him rather than a desire rising up within him to get to know more of who Jesus was. And Judas fell into the trap of the deceitfulness of wealth, which then ended up distorting the beauty of who was right in front of him. It distorted the beauty of Jesus, and that's when his life just completely did a 180-degree turn. And I suspect, this is just my own thoughts, so you can talk to me about this if you disagree afterwards, and that's fine. But um, I think that Judas maybe equated uh, money with power and with influence and with a level of prestige. I, I kind of wonder, did he get a bit of a kick out of the power that he held over the Sanhedrin as he was leading them to Jesus in Gethsemane? But that was hollow. It didn't amount to anything. He bought into the lie that money would secure his prestige. But instead, what it did was it subtly tricked him onto this path that would lead to his own downfall. The deceitfulness that attaches itself to money led to Judas's destruction. It was running hard after Judas's destiny. It was trying to obliterate it. But instead, look at what Jesus teaches in Mark in, in chapter 10, when he, when he tells a rich man that he has to sell everything that he has to enter the kingdom of God, he says this in verse 25. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, there's a photo going to come up, and I apologize about the quality. But it was literally, I spent about an hour searching Google to try and get the right photograph. But if you can see the yellow arrow there, there's like a little gate. Can you see? Um, so... Lots of people believe that, and I don't know if they're right or wrong, but that's what I'm going with this morning. They um, believe that the eye of the needle was actually a gate within the walls of Jerusalem. So during the day, the big gate was open to allow traders in and out. And then um, at nighttime, for security reasons, they would have locked the big gate. But there was still access in and out of the city through this small gate. And this small gate was called the eye of the needle, okay? 
And there it is with the camel beside it so that you can get a bit of perspective, okay? So when Jesus is saying about it's easier for a camel to enter through the eye of the needle, he's not saying that it's impossible. It's not impossible. But in order for the camel to go through, the camel, this is why I love the Bible, I'm such a nerd, like, but when, when the camel goes through, the gate has to kneel down. And it has to have everything that it's carrying stripped right off it in order for it to fit through the eye of a needle. And so what I think Jesus is getting at here is that it's not impossible for a rich person to enter in at all. It's not impossible. But to get into the kingdom, you have to go in on your knees and you have to let go of everything that you think you own, <laughs> that you think defines you. You have to go in empty-handed and on your knees. And I think what Jesus is really trying to drive home here is that the deception that money can hold over us all is that our pride and our possessions become idols in our lives and they can hold us back from stepping into the fullness of what God has for us. And our idols always have a way of coming to the surface. They eventually expose themselves in our lives. And Bill Johnson, he puts it this way. He says, you know, neither riches nor poverty create heart. But he says they reveal heart. They reveal what we have going on inside us. And Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, he stresses the importance of storing up treasure in heaven. And he lands this particular part of the teaching with this. He says, you can't serve both God and money. And this word money, I know lots of you will know this, but it's, uh, it's uh, known as mammon. And, and mammon means material wealth or possessions, but especially as having a debasing influence and I think it's really important that we don't miss this this morning. You see, the influence and the powerful lure of mammon is everywhere. Like It is rampant all around us. And the materialism that we wade through, like and wading takes effort. The materialism that we wade through every day is influence of the, of, or, sorry, is evidence of the influence of mammon. Because money has a way of attempting to define our identity and its appetite is insatiable. It's insatiable. There's no satisfying it. And the deception of mammon, if we aren't careful, is that it becomes our sole focus in life. It becomes our driving force. It becomes the reason why we get up in the morning. And it chokes and snuffs out opportunities for the kingdom seeds to be on display through us. And just like Judas, the fact is this morning, the deceitfulness of wealth is running hard after our destiny and trying to obliterate it as well. So when Jesus teaches us to give, he makes it really clear in Matthew 6, verse 21. This is the message version of it because I just think it's lovely. It says, the place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and you will end up being. And so in other words, what he's saying is whatever you sow into now reflects where your heart is and where we chart our course for. And we saw this so beautifully demonstrated last week. Just for the sake of the visitors, um, we, we, we're actually on course for um, a, a church um, sanctuary, if that's the right word, a space where we can worship um, over the next few months. We can get into that. But the offering last week was actually for our kids and our young people so that they could have a space to get into as well. And that is the generosity of the people in this body. And like, it, just, it, it knocked our socks off. Like We are so humbled by, by what we see in you. And I think what Jesus is saying here is what so many of you guys embody. 
um, and it's beautiful. And so we want to honor you for the way you were so generous in that last week. But it's really good then that we ask ourselves, like, how do we guard our hearts against the deceitfulness of money? Well, I think it's kind of simple, but it's probably kind of complex as well. I think we just do what Jesus says. <laughs> um, when we take his teaching on board, we choke the thorns. And that honestly has been my own experience in life. When we place our treasure in the kingdom, our heart just kind of follows after it, doesn't it? It, kind of, it charts the course and we follow after that. Because the condition of the soil of our hearts always finds its base in our relationship with the Lord, like every time. No exceptions. So the first thing I think we can do is we can get correctly aligned. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, you know this, and he will give you the desires of, of your heart. I think sometimes in the West we don't get this verse. I think we misunderstand it. I think sometimes we can be, and I'm guilty of it too in the past, of reading this verse that if I just like read and pray and read and pray and read and pray and please the Lord and keep up my end of the bargain, then he's going to give me everything that I want. But I don't think that's biblical. I don't think that's how we should interpret that verse. I think when we delight in the Lord, he takes the desires that are in his heart and he puts them into ours. He gives us the desires that are in our hearts. Because then we find that we are aligned with him. Unless the desires of our heart are aligned with the furtherance of the kingdom, unless we're seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, what springs forth from the seed um, of God's word in our hearts, it's going to be choked. It's going to be choked by the thorns, by the false, fragile security that money offers us. But when we delight in the Lord, when we grow in him, when we become more transformed into the likeness of Jesus, we allow the seed of his word to ignite our soul and to trigger fresh imagination for the kingdom. So the first thing is we get aligned. The second thing is that we give out of obedience. Um, we're a church who practices the discipline of tithing, and, um, and that's where we give one-tenth of our first fruits, or in modern-day terms, our top line, <laughs> back into the church again. And we can see it right throughout the Old Testament, and there's some references there that we're not going to get into this morning, but if you want to justify it, here they are. But um, it, when you get into the New Testament, it's actually not just about tithing. Jesus actually leads us into a place of it's tithing and more. It's about generosity. But when we tithe, um, we're being obedient to God, right? But at the same time, we're increasing our own faith levels and we're ensuring that our hearts are correctly aligned with God as the sole object of our worship. And you might think, Do you know what, if I tithe, I couldn't go on holiday. And you might be think, looking at me and thinking she needs a holiday, and I need a holiday. <laughs> um, but you might be thinking, if I tithed, I couldn't pay my car payments. Or if I tithed, we, we couldn't heat the house. And I get that. I, I, I really, I, I honestly get it. But my suggestion to you this morning, and I hope you hear it with grace, is that God is drawing you deeper. He's ma making you more like him. It's a part of our discipleship journey when you tithe. I started tithing when I was 17, and I was earning like £25 a week, so my tithe was ending up with like 250 And I couldn't actually bring myself to put 250 into the basket. It was just embarrassing. So, like, I'm not being boastful, but I maybe threw in a fiver, you know. And... Um, <laughs> But I just, I, could, I just, I couldn't put in 250. But from that point on, right, um, like tithing for me was just a non-negotiable. 
And when Stephen and I got married, like we didn't even really talk about it. We just did it. It's just something that we do. It's something that it just is a direct debit. It comes out at the start of the month. It's a non-negotiable for us. But we also teach our kids to tithe because we want them to grow up with the economy of the kingdom mindset, not the economy of the world mindset. Okay. And I wonder if one of the greatest weaknesses for all of us in the West is that perhaps we're more reliant on our next paycheck than we are reliant on God. Because whatever money promises you, God promises you so much more. So we give out of obedience. And then the third thing that we do is we give generously. Oh, I am rattling through this. I promise I'll be done in like five minutes. When Jesus teaches about giving, right, we can just assume that his audience tithed because that was a part of their religious culture and they just knew that that was something that they had to do. It was just obedience, okay? But Jesus, when he talks about giving, it's like a whole other level of generosity, like, like so many of you guys demonstrated last week, okay? It's when we take our eyes off what we need and what we want, and we see things with a kingdom mindset. God uses that. And Paul talks in Acts, he says that, um, that Jesus teaches that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. You see, the principle of, of giving is a discipline, and a, a discipline is something that we have to do that's good for us. Sometimes we don't want to do it, we don't feel like doing it, but it's really good for us. And I'm sure, to be honest, like I'm just going to be very vulnerable about this, sometimes we feel there's more month than there is money, <laughs> okay? But what, and I want you to hear my heart in saying this, and I'm so reluctant to even go there because it's not who we are, but um, when, we, when we're getting a tight, we ask ourselves, where do we need to give? When we find that we are, are you know, we're, we're, running, we're running low, sometimes then we find it's really helpful to say, right, are we leaning on our own understanding here or are we trusting God? And so we find that it's helpful if we trust him by giving our money. And I'm not telling anybody here to do that, but I'm just telling you that that's something that we have found. When we've been disciplined and generous in this area in our lives, we've never, genuinely, we've never gone without. And the truth that we as leadership, we want everybody to know, it's not about how much you give. Um, but we, just, we just want you to become more like Jesus. That's what it's about for us. And um, because it's this kingdom mindset that leads to, uh, to, to deeper spiritual formation. Because tithing isn't a sacrifice. Tithing is just obedience. But giving above your tithe, I think that's the sacrifice that Jesus is calling us all into. Don't get me wrong, like I am in need of a good holiday. I am in need of one, right? I want to build a garage onto the side of our house. I want to concrete around the outside of our house. We're in it nearly 11 years and I have to like settle myself. Every time I just like, get frustrated and I'm like, oh, I just, I just want our garden stroke field to look decent. And then, and then I'm like, no, it's okay. No, it's okay. Because the truth actually is when I settle myself back down again, I want those things. But I want Jesus more. I want Jesus more. I'm not going to look back on my life whenever the end is going to be and say, I wish, I wish we had have done this to our house or I wish we had have done that to our house. And while it's important that we have a nice house for our kids, see if I love Jesus more. He's who I want more in, in life. And so I think the challenge for all of us this morning and even off the back of our dedications is that, and this is our heart for our family and church, that that, we, that God's word finds good soil in us. 
It finds good soil in us. And that none of us are exempt from that level of accountability, that none of us are exempt from cultivating good soil within us, which are hopefully going to disciple and release, like from the youngest, from every child who was up here this morning, right up to the oldest, into the fullness of the calling on their lives. But we've got to be ruthless with the thorns. So I would love to pray with you this morning for that. And, and we have a prayer ministry team. If there's anybody who would particularly like some prayer around this issue, we would love to pray with you. Um, but just as we close, I'd love to, uh, to pray over the body. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that, um, that it is good seed, God. And we thank you for all that you want to plant in hearts this morning, God, and all that you want to grow out of hearts. And so we pray for good soil in this room, Jesus. And we pray that, um, that any thorns that are growing, any cares of the world, God, and any deceitfulness of riches, Father, that they would be coming to the surface and that they would be exposed this morning by the light of your word. And Father, we pray for freedom in those areas, God. We pray for... Um, for people's minds where worries might be coming um, too much for them. Father, we just pray for a freedom and a release in the name of Jesus. And God, we pray um, that every um, snare of the enemy that would be grappling into hearts this morning around the deceitfulness of riches. Father, we pray that there would be a release, God. We pray that every single talent would be ripped out in the name of Jesus. And we ask all of this in your name. Amen.